What's up, Z Pack? Welcome to the Z Dog MD Show. This is Dr. Z. Uh, listen, today I got a guest because I opened up my newsfeed this morning and I was like, wait, what? So the article in The Lancet that I talked about on a show, talking about hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and this sort of observational study across multiple countries, thousands of patients was saying there was no benefit and there may actually have been increased mortality, increased harm. We talked about it. I talked about the downsides of that trial, that it was observational, it was not randomized, and that they were already starting with the sickest people and all the different biases. But this morning, news came out that changed everything. And I reached out to my friend, Dr. Adrian Hernandez, who is the, he's a professor at Duke. He is a cardiologist and he is the director of the Duke Clinical Research Institute, Duke University Clinical Research Institute. And he happens to be running a registry, helping out with a registry called the Heroes Registry that is t is registering healthcare professionals like many of you for participation in trials around COVID. And we're gonna talk about that in the show, but what I wanna ask him about now is the retraction of the Lancet paper, which blew everybody's mind. Hey, Adrian, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Z-Doc. Dude, I gotta say, man, uh, it's rare that a paper gets retracted this quickly and the authors actually requested the retraction. So can you just walk me through what the paper kind of was saying and then why they retracted it? Uh, Cause that it's just, it's crazy to me. Yeah, so it's actually even bigger. Uh, so actually two papers got retracted on the same day. So one from the, the Lancet that we're talking about for hydroxychloroquine, but also another one from the New England Journal of Medicine from the same uh, authorship. And so really incredible that something like that could happen, but just shows some of the, the challenges for trying to address um, big data, rural data in the setting of a pandemic. People are really trying to get answers. And it turns out that uh, what they were using, no one could really understand or validate. So that was a big problem. But th this is crazy to me because, you know, we do science normally, then the pandemic happens and it seems like we throw everything out the window in this rush to get data, especially when things seem so politicized. So what happened here? Because it seems to me this thing was peer reviewed. It's published in a major, two journals now, New England Journal, different paper, uh, and Lancet. And so what did what happened here? Can you walk me through this? Help me understand. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about the, the process, now it normally starts with, you know, what's the question? How do you answer the question? Where the data are? how to validate it, what's the review process, editors say this is good or not. And all that time usually takes, honestly, months. But in the setting of COVID-19, you know, people want answers like yesterday. And so the pressures uh, from authors, from peer review, from editors, that got squanched into a matter of not weeks, but days. And so I think the system broke down that, you know, at least three times there's a chance to say, is this real or not? Is it the best answer or best way to answer it? And if not, how would you actually understand it? And that was a complete failure in three steps. Uh, you know, okay, first of all, I wanna compliment you on the use of the word squanched, which is an amazing word um, and one of my favorites. But second, I wanna say this, you were one of the authors because the process of how this thing came to light to be not uh, good science, let's just be honest, um, was a group of 
scientists actually wrote a letter saying, we have a lot of problems with this. Like we know it's gone through peer review, unlike many of the things that have been put out on you know these archives that are not peer, preprint archives. But this is peer reviewed. So, you know, when I was talking about, and I gotta say, Adrian, I wanna ask you at some point here, like, did I screw up even talking about this thing uh, when I did, when it came out? And we can get to that. But um, a group of scientists that included you wrote a letter saying, we have a lot of concerns. How did that come about? What what were the concerns that were raised and how were they discovered? Yeah, so there, there were a group of investigators that are part of these hydroxychloroquine trials. And and as they were reviewing that and thinking they had this responsibility for the people that are in their trials, hey, you have this data that shows it's you know potentially unsafe. So uh, let's take a deeper look at it. And so when people are taking a look at that and saying, this doesn't quite match up. Uh, so over 600 hospitals, six continents, places where we've never seen this rapid data with electronic health data, inconsistencies in terms of these number of COVID-19 cases in Australia and Africa, which didn't match up um, with what the paper was saying. So then that's right, um, generating the question, is this real or not? And so a group of people came together and decided, let's make an open letter since the initial requests weren't actually being, uh, people weren't really being responsive to. And so, well, let's open it up and ask everyone uh, to, to take a look at that. And so that's what started the snowball here. Wow. You know, so it makes sense because you look at that paper and you'd wonder, okay, they got, how many patients were they talking about? 96,000 or something? Yeah, yeah. So Nin almost 100,000 people across the world, yeah. Now, you and me, Adrian, working with electronic health records know that you can't get records from across the street, <laughs> let alone across the world in record time for 96,000 patients, de-identify it, make sure that they meet the criteria, make sure the data was actually accurate, all that stuff and get it processed in a way that's meaningful, that seems to me a challenge. Am I thinking about that wrong? Yeah, and especially if you think about this from January, where COVID was barely on the radar for people to say March and April where things were changing, that's incredible. Like, how is that possible? How can that happen? And then, of course, the study results uh, showing that it doesn't help and it may harm started to ripple around the world. And in fact, the WHO then put a pause on one of their trials thinking, oh, now if there's safety data that's concerning, we better be careful and watch out. So this did not have no effect, right? And other ongoing trials were happening, including something that you guys are doing. Or were you guys doing a trial on hydroxychloroquine? Yeah, uh, in a different space in terms of um, prophylaxis, protecting for healthcare workers. But one, one other thing to note is that this group also had a preprint um, about another drug uh, that actually was started to use in um, in South America. So and so these things have important applications. You, I read this that it was ivermectin was That's the right. drug. Yeah. And what happened in South America is they started putting it out and saying, okay, this is part of the armamentarium based on a preprint by the same authors or the same database. Uh, same similar authors and same database. So yeah, so like this is where you know, we have to really be careful, you know, what we do. So tell me about this database because, so it seemed like you guys recognized that there were some problems like uh, the fact that publicly reported figures for COVID-19 cases didn't match. They were under reporting by like a factor of something, how many were in the paper. And what was their response when you guys reached out to them and said, why is this, it sh shouldn't they match? Yeah, so initially the author um, referred us to the CEO of this company, Surgisphere, 
And uh, that's where things you know, got blocked. And so there wasn't really a mechanism for that company to share which hospitals, which places, how did you get the data? What's the, uh, the data quality? What are the methods? All those different steps. And so that's ultimately what led to the retractions. See, this is crazy. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard because you have this company, Surgisphere, which was founded in 2008 by this uh, guy, Desai, this doctor. Uh, and they were providing these robust, almost too hard to believe data sets to the researchers. And the question is, do the researchers even results. question? I'm not even sure they were providing data sets, but actually they ran the analysis as uh, how we interpret it. So. So they basically did the trial and then these guys maybe did a little statistics. Am uh, I wrong? I think they, they took the tables and wrote the paper. I don't know that they actually did the analyses. So. Wow. So let me ask you just a question right away. And this is the elephant in the room. Are the authors, not the database guys, but the authors, other authors of these papers, are they just absolutely negligent in how they do science? Or was this an honest mistake where it was a vendor that was providing data and analysis that screwed up? What's going on? Well, you know, certainly they had blind spots here. Uh, so they didn't have enough experience with electronic health data, didn't know probably what the right questions to answer. You know, in the time of COVID where people are really trying to get to fast answers, like here's this wonderful database, look at these results you can imagine, you know, blind spots that people might have to say like, oh, we need to get this out, but didn't have the right question. So, uh, so historically they've done good work. Um, but in this yeah. case, you know, they, their responsibilities, uh, did, uh, fail. So it, they didn't follow through. You know, it's so, it's so interesting because we're seeing a pattern of this, um, during this time where at least the, uh, the accusations of this, for example, the Stanford, uh, seroprevalence study was so controversial in terms of their, uh, methods, this idea that the, uh, the testing they were using wasn't validated properly. There was controversy. There was whistleblowers. It was in the press. You don't normally see this kind of drama with science. It's usually pretty quiet. So what's different now? It's just COVID you think? That yeah. everyone's rushed. I mean, normally uh, science is iterative, slow, deliberative. Um, so in the setting of a pandemic where people are really trying to grasp or get any answer, whether it's right or partially right or maybe completely wrong, like anyone is looking for any answer. And so this is what can happen. And so everything that we would normally do for the scientific process, you know, just gets thrown out. And so this is why we need to change that. We have to get back to, we can still do things fast, but we can also make sure to be attentive to quality and ensure that we have the so-called nutritional label. Is this study good? Is this healthy? Is this actually important? So like, how do we actually grade these studies so people understand it? Would it make sense to have like an independent body that just objectively reviews even peer-reviewed data, like, and just starts to put those nutritional labels on? Or is that just crazy thinking? No, that I think in this setting that can be very helpful because you know the biggest consumers are you know people out there um, who don't necessarily know what the research process is. So how would you grade it? So A, B, or C? Like so that way people understand that hey, this is grade A work. Okay, terrific. I can trust that. Grade C, well maybe not. And if it's an F, like we shouldn't even be paying attention to it. But how things have been treated as everything was looked like a great A. 
Ah, and you know, what's interesting about this too is that there are, there we have a scientific method that works. We've just been really rushing through it. There's been a lot of preprint stuff and then people send it to each other on social media. It's amplified, everything is politicized because people wanna spin, you know, hydroxychloroquine, oh my God, that's Trump's drug. You know, no, 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 it's a medicine. Let's study it correctly. There's a biological plausibility. It doesn't mean that it actually works. So we gotta study it and there's different applications. Like you said, whether it's prophylactic, preventing the disease or whether it's treating people and then how sick they are. Science is tough, it's complicated, but people, especially the press, it's very hard to parse that for the public and then everybody gets confused. And like you said something interesting, you said, and other researchers who don't necessarily understand the methodology sometimes. Have you seen a lot of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just think about that, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily expect a molecular biologist to understand say, uh, research around electronic health records or someone who's focused on clinical trials to understand this or vice versa. So that's why it's so important, especially now that the world's gotten so complicated. And so you have these specialties that can uh, take advantage of different parts of data creation and knowledge generation. Now, does this mean uh, that hydroxychloroquine works because that's what's that's what the public's going to think. They're like, "Oh, this paper was de- was debunked. There was probably a conspiracy because hydroxychloroquine is cheap and easy to push things towards remdesivir." You can see where this thinking would happen. Well, how would you respond to that? Yeah, well, you know, we remove that paper um, out of the mix and so at least uh, there's not a safety question here. But there are two other things that have come around this week. So, another trial this week, which is our first really randomized trial with hydroxychloroquine, looked at this question in people who had recently been exposed to COVID-19. It was a smaller study, 800 people, and it didn't show any effect there. So people who had a known exposure, uh, while there was a trend for hydroxychloroquine being beneficial, uh, it didn't meet the bar in terms of saying, yes, it it is, but it was safe. Hmm. And then actually, just actually uh, today, there's another trial called Recovery, uh, that uh, just released um, just top line results. And these are in patients who are really sick in the hospital, uh, have a, about a 25% mortality rate at 30 days. It didn't work there. And so the story here that's coming down is that uh, just like any virus, if it goes so far out, it's really hard to treat. That was the case with remdesivir. That seems to be the case from hydroxychloroquine. And so the question is, can you get it in front? Can you actually prevent it? And so that's why the people are interested in this for hydroxychloroquine, vaccines, other therapies to actually see if you can prevent it from happening. Yeah, that uh, that's the main thing because when you do it is key. And you know, you can. There are a lot of people who do science on a lot of different things. And if something becomes if there's a negative result, you can always question. Did we do this right? Did we give it at the time when this is actually gonna be helpful? You said vaccines, and this is important because I think there's a couple takeaways that I have, and I'm curious what you think. One of them is that the public, especially the public that's afraid, that that really has lost trust in science, can spin this two ways. The way they're probably gonna spin it is, science is worthless, you can't trust anything, don't trust these guys because they screwed up and made a huge mistake. The other way to spin it, which is the correct way is, look what happened. Scientists looked at this and said, wait, there's a problem and we need to investigate this. And the process worked. The the authors retracted it. They couldn't find the answers they needed from this vendor surgosphere, which by the way, smells to me like a fraudulent thing. I mean, like 
it, this is like fire festival level stuff. I mean, what, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that or am I crazy? No, yeah. So I, exactly. So, you know, I really worry about this example, um, losing public trust here. And so the only way to, um, to change that is actually be part of this. Um, and so in this case, I mean, that's why the community of scientists, you know, stood up quickly. We're not going to tolerate something that's so slow. And, uh, when that is misinformation, uh, we need to change this right now. I can't go through the usual process. And so in a matter of two weeks, both articles got retracted. And so now and it, we can move on forward. And you were a part of that process. So thank you for doing that. And I got to say this. So this is the follow-up question is, so science works. The follow-up question is, since science works, are you scared that we're going to similarly screw up a rushed vaccine study process, given the immense pressure uh, to formulate a vaccine quickly? I am worried about it. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we um, are able to do the right type of trials as fast as possible, but ensure we have the understanding of you know the benefits and any risk. Um, because for vaccines to work, it needs to be extremely safe and also make sure that it's protective. And so uh, we want to ensure that we have the right structure, right approach uh, to get that uh, quickly. Now, that's a good segue into what you're actually doing to make this better as a researcher and as a fellow physician. Because when we first talked um, offline, I was... Um, impressed with what you were doing with the Heroes Registry, so much so that I shared it. Um, and the idea that you're creating a registry and you're gonna help me understand this better so that my audience can participate, because that's our call to action here is, this registry of healthcare professionals, and I'm not talking doctors and nurses, I'm talking everybody in healthcare, even if you're furloughed, even if you work in the kitchen, which is such an important job, all these other pieces, can, can, can be a part of this registry that is studying uh, the effects on healthcare workers, COVID science, mental health effects uh, in a broad way so that we can actually get enough data that we can actually make a difference in changing the course of this. So teach me about this because this is so important. Yeah, so we're aiming to create a community of healthcare workers across the US. And so two goals are one, understand their needs. Like what's your stress points? You know, what's going on that we can try to make sure that your individual voice is amplified. Uh, the second thing is that we know that COVID-19 is not going to go away overnight. We're already seeing it kind of come back. So we have to protect healthcare workers. The way to do that um, will be likely through vaccines or some other protective drug. And so to get the best science, we want to make sure that people are able to participate in these trials and be ready when uh, it fits for them. And there are also a series of trials, series of steps. So some people may not want to be part of the very first trial, but they may want to be part of the second or third phase of this. And so we want to understand where do you want to be part of that? Or maybe you want to know when the result is out. And so then we can share with you the result of a trial that you may want to get to, uh, say, a vaccine quickly, and how do we do that for you? So people who would register for the possibility, in other words, you're not signing up for the trial, you're saying, hey, I'm putting my, my, my hat in the ring, when you reach out to me, I can decide how, you know, they go to heroesregistry.com, is that right? Mm -hmm. Or dot yeah. .org? Dot .org. Dot .org, heroesregistry.org, and we'll put it in the show notes. But 
how are they guaranteed that they have privacy then? Are they giving you data, name, medical stuff that's going to put them at risk in any way? So we do ask for information about them, but it's all protected in terms of uh, the uh, keeping everything in a very secure environment uh, that others can access. And uh, just like anyone who's you know using, say, their you know specific email, only they would know their password, et cetera. And it also requires two steps to get in uh, to make sure you are you and no mm-hmm. one else is trying to get to your account. The other thing is that it's we also want to learn like what is happening, so-called the pulse of the nation of healthcare workers. So if you imagine uh, two months ago, uh, it was about PPE. Like, I can't mm-hmm. get it. The next is, I want to have like a test. Like, do I, have I been exposed or not? Which test do I trust? Next could be, hey, there's a vaccine. Which one should I trust? So that's also what we're trying to do as well. So to me, this is the most powerful thing uh, in the interview. We can talk about the science of hydroxychloroquine and how we've, you know, caught a mistake and all that. But what matters, I think, most to me in this audience is the fact that they can be a part of something that makes all the things that we've gone through and suffered on the front lines, no PPE, how do we get tested? How do we keep our families safe? How do we keep us safe? Is there a prophylactic hydroxychloroquine, whatever it is, what's gonna happen when the vaccine happens? And actually be a part of the solution, feel empowered, because you know what? We are at the highest risk, which means we're already the perfect population to study. We're smart enough to make informed consent decisions about participating in a trial, knowing risks and benefits, understanding randomized controlled trials, and then lending our voice to something that will actually change the practice, not just for us on the front lines, but for everybody in the world, I can't think of a stronger pitch for people who've already dedicated their lives to helping others than that, which is why the Heroes Registry is perfectly named. You guys are brilliant. What does it stand for, by the way? Uh, Well, it actually stands for Healthcare Workers Exposure and Outcomes Registry, but uh, the, the, and that's exactly right. We want people to be able to raise their hand. You know, I have a problem. I want to join. I want to change it. So that's what we're trying to do. I will, I will please tell my audience right now, this is something you should register for. Okay. I'm registering. We all want to be a part of the solution and it's, there's no obligation, but I think it's so important. And you know, one of the things, so let me ask you this. If like, how many people do you have registered now? Uh, so we have over 13,000. Wow. Healthcare professionals of all stripes. That's right. And one other thing is, you know, we also know that in the first kind of uh, surveys of what people's interests are, they're also worried about their families. And so mm-hmm. uh, another phase we're going to do is like, how do we also make sure to get family members on board? So, because they may also be interested in vaccines as well. It makes total sense. Actually, that, that, that would be a key thing, actually. And many of us are actually more concerned about our families than we are about ourselves by far. One question about this is if you have like, say, let's say you get 50,000 people signed up. I, you know, listen, I will push as hard as we can because I think if we can get a ton of ZPAC people signed up, there's 2 million people across the ZPAC tribes and they're mostly healthcare professional. If we can get even a fraction of those, we can do such good science and make such a difference in the world in a way that I would never have anticipated that this platform would have been able to do. So it's important to me too. I have a question about once you have those guys there and let's say a vaccine comes out that they're studying, can you just activate that army of potential research subjects very quickly then? Is that the idea here that you can yeah. just activate so, that many people? So yeah. you know, for these vaccine studies, they're going to need at least 30,000 um, for each of them. And so we would like to make sure that we have 30,000 
day one because that's the normal vaccine study would take months. And so how do we get this done where everyone signs up in a matter of days so that shortens the timeline? So people ask all the time, and I had Offit, Paul Offit on the show, and others named you know, Peter Hotez. Normally there's a, it's just a long process. And what you just said is enlightening because it says the process is long for reasons, but one of the reasons is it's really hard to enroll people in trials. If we, ZPAC, can actually put ourselves out there and put our money where our mouth is, right? We've been talking about the importance of science studies, vaccines then we can actually solve that problem, speed up the vaccine development without compromising safety and quality. Does that sound about right? That's exactly right. And so we can be a part of the solution instead of feeling powerless. And I tell you, I get mess- so many messages of people feel powerless. And who came up with this idea? Like how did this thing, how was it designed? What's the background? Yeah, so back in March, a group called the Patient Center Outcomes Research Institute came to us and said, you know, how can we help uh, this area and specifically healthcare workers? And so that's where we started saying like, hey, we understand the interest in hydroxychloroquine. Let's answer that. But let's, this story is not going to go away overnight. And the problems aren't going to go away, at least as what we could tell. And there's going to be a mm-hmm. series of things that we need to do. And a group of people on the front lines, they're there taking care of patients all the time. But who's making sure that their voice is represented? Who's making sure that they design what's needed next? And then everything was blowing up in terms of PPE, et cetera. And so this became like a call to action. You know, you had a series, um, your team sent me a series of sort of bullets on this and they were really well done. I'm gonna include them in the show notes of what we share so that you guys can read about the rationale, the background, Q&A, all kinds of great points before you register because you should be informed. But I'll tell you like, uh, this is such a powerful thing that you're doing. And you know, you guys are big nerds, man. I'm not even kidding. Like the Duke Clinical Research Institute, this is not like some fly by night, you know, operation that like an anti-vaxxer would cite. Well, you know, you know, Mr. Pickles at all with Dr. Bozo uh, said that this is like legit science. So to be a part of that would actually be a huge honor for me. So I'll be registered and and ready to ready to sign up for those trials when they're ready to go. And I think I think a lot of the a lot of the followers would too. Do you have any yeah. other sort of calls to action? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we want to make this go viral. So, you know, mm-hmm. as others actually register, like share it with your colleagues, share it with your friends. Uh, and that Great. way we can like build this community quickly. And then when there are these questions that come up, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or somewhere else, like how can we quickly get an answer that says pay attention to us? And one other thing that you mentioned, and I just want to highlight, is that it's not just about nurses and physicians. When we talk about healthcare workers, it's everyone part of the system, from people um, uh, who are going out responding to 911 calls, policemen, firemen. Uh, EMS to those who are actually caring for people in skilled nursing facilities, where we know COVID-19 is a really big deal. Uh, so it's a whole spectrum, as well as people who actually see patients room to room uh, from food services or environmental services. Often they have the biggest exposures. They do. And actually in New York, it's often minorities uh, doing those jobs and they were dying of, of infection because uh, they did not get the same PPE that say, you know, an ICU doc would get or a PAP or anything like that. It's really heartbreaking. It's, a, it's an inequity issue yeah. at heart. And often those people actually don't even know 
when, say, they could be part of a, say, a vaccine trial because no one has thought about them and we need to change that. So one thing I got to say, and I'm very proud of, is that we have an audience that is the cross-section of all healthcare workers in the U.S. and activist patients. So I think now I get, I get, and you know, I get a lot of criticism from some doctors that say that I am pandering to ancillaries, whether it's nurses or PAs or nurse practitioners. And it really is outrageous because how are we gonna transform healthcare? How are we gonna be better if we don't look at the entire team, including our patients, including our policymakers, including our administrators, to exclude that's not my what I wanna do. Now, there are people who can do that, that, that but it's and increasingly, you know, Adrian, I'm frustrated by the polarization and the division. I've been a part of it. Uh, I have, I've done things that are very divisive because I know it's gonna get traction and get eyes on us so that we can do other things. That's the wrong way to do it. From now on, I'm about, I'm really gonna be try to be about more connection and more building bridges, which means calling it out when I think uh, we're trying to be too divisive. So that's one thing I think that your registry is just the perfect way to bring us together in service of something bigger than ourselves, which is helping everybody. Yeah, and so that's what we wanna hear is create this community, hear people's ideas and act on them. Now, here's a question that I said I'd ask in the beginning that I make sure I don't forget. I did a video on the Lancet uh, piece, uh, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, saying, hey, the study came out, this is what it showed, here are the flaws. So it just, you know, just here's what here's the information. Did you, you didn't see that video, did you? I actually did. So I'm a follower, I watch you, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I love, the nerds watch me. And by nerds, yeah. that's the highest compliment I can give because I'm the biggest nerd in the world. So wait, so Adrian, you saw the video. I need your honest feedback on that video. Did I, did I jump the gun? Did I say something wrong? What can I do better to communicate that? Do I need to do a follow-up beyond this? Yeah, so, you know, it's actually interesting. So most people did the same thing. You look at the main paper and that's what you judge it on. But it's when you get to the, say, the other parts of it, actually the appendix, that's where people really picked up like, hey, this does not make sense. The same thing for the New England Journal paper. It was the appendix that really like show things. And so that's where like we depend on editors, the peer review, bring out these issues uh, here. And there are a lot of other um, people well-known, uh, almost as well-known as you, uh, that had the same uh, problem. You know, Dr. Topol, uh, same thing. So. Uh, and, but you Eric, know, again, Eric, yeah. So I'm in like, good I mean, company then. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like, you know, just thinking like, you know, when people take a first glance and you have trust in the system, that's going to be what happens. And, you know, 90%, 99%, that's right. But there are, you know, these cases, this one's extreme, uh, that where there was, you know, really bad science. You know, I've learned a lot during this pandemic and it started in the beginning when I, really took what the WHO and the CDC were saying quite literally early on. And I was burned so badly and was talking publicly, you know, guys, calm down, everybody calm down, which, which calming down is always a good idea. Being prepared is always a good idea. But I was really led down a path that was not correct because I don't have the primary data and I didn't have the ability. I was talking to people on the inside, but they don't have that ability either. And we're blind on so many levels. And with this Lancet thing, it's an interesting thing because I think it's important. What you said is important to trust people who 
it's their job to actually review those things, but then hold them accountable when it screws up. What you guys did was you said, this isn't right. You looked at the details of the paper because it's your space and said, no, this so we need. We have questions that need answering before we can trust this data. Now, here's a question. How much of our science that isn't done under pressure, that isn't getting the scrutiny that this study is getting, is done badly this way, do you think? Or fraudulently, even worse? Uh, well, bad science, there's definitely a, uh, several percent that that happens. Um, you know, fraudulent, I think it's actually rare. I mean, but it does mm. happen. So there, there is an organization that's always watching for this in terms of retractions every year. So uh, you may know about them and they do a great job keeping track of these things. But this is why, you know, it is a community of scientists and researchers that have to pay attention to it and always just have a little um, ounce of skepticism. You know, mm. um, my biggest lessons uh, early on was uh, mentor said, like, prove it and reprove it. And so making sure that like, you know, each step you question yourself and you actually question others and that's a good scientific process. Uh, make sure to uh, not take anything for granted. Yeah, I think I, I quoted this the other day, Richard Feynman saying, you know, it, you gotta make sure you're not fooling yourself because you're the easiest person to fool because you have all your biases. You wanna believe them. You wanna yeah, go down that route. Right. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Because you know, I'm usually no, I am always right, but I have to question <laughs> that. So I need to make sure that you know I question it before someone else does, and that'll be healthier. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had to evolve my own thinking to actually get joy when I'm wrong, to be shown wrong, because it shows that then I'm going to learn something from that. Because being right is like something that you get a little burst of dopamine when you're right, at least a lot of people do. But I've had to recondition myself to get a burst of dopamine when I have to apologize, when I've gotten something wrong. I'm like, oh, okay, this yeah. is an opportunity to actually be a human being. And it's hard, because it, it hurts. Right. <laughs> it's like a mix of dopamine. It's like sadomasochism, like that kind of dopamine. Like, <laughs> yeah. it hurts yeah. so good, I want more of it. Um, so that all being said, are there any other parting words you want uh, to lend to our audience? I'm gonna put all the links and everything in the in the show notes. Hey, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, we want to hear from you, and then we're gonna, you know, do our very best to honor what you do. I and I, I believe him, guys. I believe him, and I've, I've spoken to Adrian before, and he was connected with me by incredibly good and uh, and and rational scientists. So I'm excited to be a part of sharing this with you. I'm excited to be a part of it. I hope you learned something about the hydroxychloroquine retraction. I hope you've actually gotten a renewed faith in the scientific process when done correctly. You correct errors before they become avalanches of misinformation, like Andrew Wakefield's paper, which was never replicated and ultimately found to be fraudulent. Great example of that. When the retraction watch is the organization that yep. I think you're referring to. Yep. Fantastic org, if you wanna contribute or, or learn about them, it must be retractionwatch.org, I imagine. That's right. Um, and let's just science the crap out of this. Become a part of this thing. That's the call to action. Please share this video with your friends and colleagues so that we can grow this thing into a viral thing. And remember all the research, a lot of people don't realize this. We're a podcast on audio, any iTunes, Stitcher, any of those things you use, Google Play. We're also a website where everything is archived and searchable at zdogmd.com. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff's ancillary to the message that's archived on the site. So if you want links and all those things and you don't see them here and whatever you're looking at, go to my website. All right, guys, I love you. Thanks to Adrian and everybody at the uh, Clinical Research Institute at Duke University and everybody who's doing science around the world. Please stay safe during this very difficult time and we are out. Peace.